from the Mercy One Studio. Welcome, folks, to The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr. Every week, diving deep into the truth of Catholic social teaching and restoring all things in Christ. The Uncommon Good is on the air. I'm Bo Bonner. And I'm Dr. Bud Marr. And we are joining you during this ho, 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 Merry Christmas part of the year from <laughs> the middle of the country. Uh, I am the Senior Advisor for Mission, Integ- uh, sorry, Mission Initiatives and Spiritual Health and the Director of the new up-and-coming Center for Human Flourishing at Mercy College of Health Sciences. Bud, what do you do at the old college yourself? I am the academic dean at Mercy College of Health Sciences there in Des Moines. Um, and Bo, I have to say, I think in previous years, if my memory serves me rightly, that normally we would uh, cancel the show during Christmas week because I think the station does um, does Christmas carols during much of this week. So December 23rd, this has got to be the closest show that we've been to Christmas. This is the most Christmassy, uncommon good ever. Well, I think... Everyone was like, you know, it'd be a really great gift, guys. The uncommon good, and we, we, but we, we aim to please, and so you're all welcome. Uh, <laughs> we're we're in, we're we're deciding that this intro is basically like you unwrapping the gift. So I hope <laughs> that you're not you're not disappointed as you. Uh, but are you the one, uh, the type of guy who gently undoes the ribbon and then you know folds everything and reuses it, or do you? tear into the gift like a ravenous uh, raccoon smelling old meat in a trash can. No, no, I'm a pretty vicious gift opener. And I think for myself, I've found that it's hard to preserve the wrapping paper no matter how hard you try. So I just kind of dive right in. But I do love, I I think I was kind of leaning towards that Christmas-themed show because I'm a big fan of like Christmas specials, but I've really kind of uh, come around to this uh, very Murray Christmas on Netflix. It's a holiday special by Bill Murray. But oh, I just, nice. I, if it wasn't for COVID, I think it would have been great for today's show for you and I to get like ugly Christmas sweaters and film on location next to a fireplace with eggnog and the whole bit. That'd been great. We could have sang uh, Baby It's Cold Outside uh, <laughs> in a sort of updated 2020 version that True. Um, it's probably good that God didn't allow this because I can't imagine us coming up with good, wholesome content. So, Lord, thank you for thinking about preserving Bud and I doing the right thing. Uh, you know who always does the right thing, Bud, is our students who go through Mercy College of Health Sciences, mchs.edu, who, of course, employs us and underwrites our show. Um, I was thinking the other day, telling folks that it's, it's one thing to get um, students, you know, at the end of the semester, they're, they're, they're supposed to write about how they felt about your class. And, you know, I've received good ones and bad ones throughout the year, heartwarming ones, ones that have been very important to me. But there's not quite the student recommendation, like having one of your students help uh, your wife birth one of your children. And so uh, Helena's birthday is going to be in a few months. And I, I think once again, what it was like to have former students um, at Mercy College help bring Helena into the world. And uh, I know not everybody's going to get the chance to teach at Mercy College and then have a baby. But let me tell you that um, just having that experience, uh, I, I can't tell you enough how much it meant to me. 
And I hope that would make at least some people consider either for themselves or others to check out Mercy College, mchs.edu. Yeah, I remember back in the day, Bo, we would joke about uh, we better not be too hard on the students, you know, or give them a great classroom experience because man, up one day with them, you know, like at our bedside and want to get the best care possible. But I think even if we were not, you know, A++ teachers, that with with Mercy College's emphasis on servant leadership, that our students would probably even show us more grace than maybe we did in the classroom. It's true. And of course, my wife is an easy person to love and it's a baby. So maybe when I'm on the table, uh, maybe they kind of they, they walk a little slower to get me the, the, the Tylenol or whatever. But it was great. Can't recommend it enough. Uh, but as for gifts today, we have a gift for everyone on the first yeah. part of the show. Uh, you want to tell people who we're going to get a chance to talk to. Today, we're talking to Chris Stefanik, and some of you might be familiar with his ministry as an internationally acclaimed speaker. Pre-COVID, he was traveling the country, really traveling the world, sharing the faith with people. He's recently, uh, Chris has recently penned a book called uh, Living Joy, Nine Rules to Help You Rediscover and Live Joy Every Day. And I think um, this one's going to be a real treat, Bo. This time of year, we have a lot of songs that mention joy, you know, joy to the world living joyfully, triumphantly. And Chris really digs into, in the book, what concretely that looks like uh, in our individual lives, in our families, in our communities. So he's got a lot of great things to share. You know, it's funny because before the show was starting and we were uh, getting, you know, communication hooked up with Chris, he he was like, oh, are we going to Zoom video? And we're like, <laughs> Chris, everybody who knows that you do video uh knows that you're far better looking than butter eye there is no way we would have asked you on the show if people had to compare you to us so luckily for us bud all audio don't have to worry about being completely upstaged on our own show but uh i know that people will have to uh have a though they're going to enjoy this i can just tell it's going to be a great interview yeah, you know, Emmaus Road, when they published this Living Joy, uh, the, for the cover, they have Chris you know, smiling on the cover. It's a nice profile pic. I don't think that's happening for me anytime soon, Bo. I, su- I suggested it to our Sunday visitor, like, you want me on the cover there? They were like, no, no, we're fine. We'll no, actually, <laughs> I was going to say, like, and, and not, no offense, but if you're losing up to John Henry Newman, maybe both of us need to like make a pledge in the new year to to get fit and better so that maybe someday people would ask us to be on the front of our own books. It's a goal. It's aspirational. How's that, bud? No, I, I think that's what I'll blame it on. If you write a book on St. John Henry Newman, it'd be, it'd be odd if they put Bud Mar on the cover. That, w- that was it. That's it. I, I think that that's a good enough cover. So, folks, you'll want to stick around. Chris Stefanik coming up with me, Bo Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr, my co-host. This is The Uncommon Good. We're looking forward to talking to you soon. So stick around, and right after these messages, we'll be back. This is The Uncommon Good on Iowa Catholic Radio. Thank you for joining us on this Wednesday. Folks, if you want to get in touch with us here at Iowa Catholic Radio, it's easy to do. Just use the zip whip line. 515-223-1150, the Zip Whip Line. Your connection to chatting with the hosts like Bud and I, all sorts of the hosts of the local shows. You can leave messages for the station in general. Ask about things like donating, what we're up to in and around the Diocese of Des Moines, the Zip Whip Line. 
Hashtag UCG for the uncommon good. 515-223-1150 to leave your message with us, with the folks at the station, or just to make some comments or just to say Merry Christmas, which, of course, we want to say to all of you. Merry Christmas from the uncommon good. This is the uncommon good. And if you don't have a message to leave on the zip whip line, we'll be back right after this. Need an experienced attorney for legal matters? I know a guy. Stephen C. Reed, attorney at law, is a proud supporter of Iowa Catholic Radio. Steve is a longtime resident of Iowa and is licensed to practice in all Iowa state and federal courts. He has years of experience in real estate law, wills, conservatorships, trusts, and estate planning. Steve's law office phone number is 515-224-1776. That's 515-224-1776. Thank you, Blessment International, for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Everyone lives their life 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. How we use that time directly affects if our life will leave a significant impact or not. Each year, Blessment International leads Central Iowans on a 12-day, all-inclusive experience sharing the heart of Christ with children in South Africa. Teams are forming to do something significant in an African child's life. Learn more at blessmentinternational.org. That's blessmentinternational.org. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Storm Alert Weather is provided by Divine Treasures. Divine Treasures is a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. Their mission is to help Catholics know, love, and keep their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and His Church. Divine Treasures is where you can find great Catholic books, beautiful Bibles, rosaries, jewelry, statues, and religious gifts for those memorable events in your life. Divine Treasures, 5701 Hickman Road, Des Moines, 515-255-5230. Thank you to Divine Treasures for their support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Hi, this is Father John Ricardo, and I want to thank Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory for underwriting Christ is the Answer. Losing a loved one, as we know, is never easy, and it can leave you feeling lost and even hopeless at times. But Caldwell Parish helps ease that burden by sincerely caring both about your loss and about your faith. Caldwell Parish Funeral Home and Crematory is Des Moines' only Catholic-owned and operated funeral home. Their number is 515-276-0551 or online at caldwellparish.com. We're back with the Uncommon Good. Will Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr joining you this Wednesday. Thank you for listening to the show. It's always an honor to have our listeners join us. Thank you for your prayers and all that you do to be a part of the ministry over here at Iowa Catholic Radio. It's, uh, we're very glad to be with you. We're also very glad to have back someone who was on the show um, a while ago, and let me say uh, far too long ago, because it was a wonderful conversation when we had her on, Leah Libresco Sargent who has written multiple books, Arriving at Amen and Building the Benedict Option among them. She's also started tinybookclub.com, let me back up, tinybookclub.substack.com, and it's a wonderful conversation to start getting into talking about great books. Uh, Leah, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me on. So Leah, um, again, we want to throw out to people that uh, we, we're always proud when people uh, really try to have to work with schedules to be on our show, and you did that. And uh, so I'm not only saying that thank you for all the effort you put into your show, but I think this effort of something like trying to figure out a good time to talk with Bo and Bud, which is so kind of you, uh, really is a glimpse into everything you do with what you're writing about currently. That in the midst of a very fractured, uh, impatient time, that if we're going to be Christians about things, the sort of patience to leave doors open, to figure out schedules, to do the small things, end up being 
massively important. And, you know, just as we're, we're telling everyone right now, we're recording this episode before the election purposefully, and we're going to play it after the election. But whatever happened, um, we as Christians can get wrapped up in the daily news that can seem like world seismic events. But I really think, Leah, you are doing a great job of showing this fundamental truth that the small things are what's going to end up being world-changing down the line. Now, do you, do you see your writing that way as, as sort of putting patience into practice, as it were? I hope so. You know, I think sometimes my long-form writing participates in this more than my tweets, though I hope they both do. Um, I think one of the things that's really encouraging for me as a Christian, and it's something that changed for me when I became a Catholic after growing up an atheist, is having more faith in what feels like wasted endeavors. When I was an atheist, if I was in an argument with someone, I wanted to conclude the argument satisfactorily in that first encounter. Because if I didn't make a difference in that moment, I had no way to count on anything coming of it down the line. Now, as a Catholic, I think that I'm always working in concert with God when I love my neighbor and try and see them as God does. And so I can have a discussion that doesn't seem to go anywhere, but as long as I'm doing it for God, I can trust that he will make use of it somehow and that there's a lot more fruit born than I'm going to see myself. Yeah, that's some great thoughts. And it's, it's kind of nice, as Bo mentioned, that we're recording this conversation before the election, but it's being heard after the election. And I'm kind of curious, um, you know, I, I do think that the upcoming months are going to have some difficult conversations. I know in the past year in America, we've wrestled pretty seriously with like, um, especially questions of racial justice. One struggle that I have is the tension between ecclesial communion. So we're called into this body that's made of a, up of a diverse range of people and then having a properly sort of prophetic stance. And I know I'm stating this very much in the abstract, but do you have thoughts about, you know, our Lord, when he was sending his disciples, he said, if your message isn't received, shake the dust off your sandals. But that, and you know, like move on to the next town, that becomes a more difficult sort of thing when you're in conversations with other members of the body of Christ. Like, do you think there's ever a time where the sort of um, disagreements become almost like community rupturing? I mean, I think there have been a lot of times like that, and we call them schisms, um, and that there are ongoing wounds in the body of Christ, and we should all both work and pray to close them and heal them so we can be one church together. I think more often, you know, None of us is ever called to start a schism. Um, and certainly in my own church uh, as a Catholic, I'm not called to be the one to um, anathematize someone else that's you know, for the bishops. Um, so more often if I kind of run into what feels like an insolvable problem or division, what I remember is maybe I'm not the person called to do something for this person at this moment. That's a very limited withdrawal, right? Like maybe in this moment, the approach I'm taking isn't helpful. And the good thing is I know I can always do something that's helpful, which is to pray for my interlocutor. So there's never a moment where we're fully divorced from each other, but I might take a step back. And usually my cue to do that is when I feel like I'm having the same fight again and again with someone and that, you know, I can predict the whole thing from the beginning. It's like we're just you know, restaging it uh, eight times a week, you know, twice on Saturdays. 
Um, and then I do take a step back. And I often tell my person it's because it feels like we have the same fight every time and we're not making much progress. And I'd be happy to resume this conversation if either of us comes up with a way to at least have the fight differently. Not necessarily better, just differently. Well, <laughs> Leah, this brings to mind, I've, I've had the, the blessing to be teaching St. Gregory the Great's dialogues with some students. And so there's the famous scene when he's talking about St. Benedict after he, you know, he comes out of his hermitage. These monks beg him to be their abbot. And he's like, well, it's not going to work well. You'll think I'm too strict. And they're like, no, 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 it's going to go great, man. Let's do it. And then they poison him when they decide that, no, in fact, he was right. He's too strict. Now, instead of getting like uber mad, I mean, so he, he, he blesses the cup and it breaks apart. And I was, I was talking to a fellow co-teacher. I cannot imagine what it would be like to be one of the monks who had poisoned the glass. And then that happens. You're like, wow, this is about to go really bad. <laughs> but what Gregory says is, hey, hey, no hard feelings. I told you this is going to happen, but I'm going to leave. And uh, you guys either need to figure out if you're going to reform or go find an abbot that's more to your liking. And he walks away. And then St. Gregory the Great and his deacon Peter have this conversation about that the saints have this mesmerizing way to understand where they've thrown enough seed in a place and it's time to go throw seed elsewhere. And it makes me think about my life, how so many times I've been uber invested the minute that I throw seed into anything and to really decide like I'm going to make the, the ground bleed before I leave not seeing this seed sprout up. But that's, you know, the saints, to be a saint is to have that detachment where you go, you know what, uh, it's not condemning these people to death. It's not saying that they're going to hellfire. But at this moment, it's time to go plant seeds somewhere else. And, you know, maybe that's one of the hardest things that, that even the people who are already halfway on this program to like want to be the, the small change in the world is they have to be willing to, to like you said, small gains. That, that might be one of the hardest uh, uh, detachments that they have to invest in. Well, you know what? I'll push back a little on the framing we've been using. I don't think it's about small gains. I think it's about trusting in bigger victories than we could achieve on our own, which means, you know, leaving things uncompleted by yourself so that they can be completed by God. But it's not settling for less. It's saying, you know, what I can achieve, you know, Lord, is limited. I'm going to extend myself further. I'm going to try things I can't bring to completion. I'm going to love people I don't know how to love for a long time or even for more than five minutes once I start talking to them, trusting that you, Lord, can bring this to completion, can do more than what I can do. There's, a, there's an extraordinary moment in um, the uh, autobiography of Corey Ten Boom in The Hidden Place where she makes just a small gesture relying on God to do the rest. And Corey Ten Boom is someone who was um, active in hiding Jews during the Holocaust and was imprisoned by the Nazis. And after the war, she meets a Nazi officer who tells her at a place where she's just been preaching about forgiveness, that he's truly repented and he wants her to forgive him. And she writes about it and says she just realized she could not do it. Um, and she just both realized she couldn't forgive him and that she didn't have any way of trying to forgive him. So she just did the only thing she felt was in her power, asking God to do the rest, which was to shake his hand. And when she took his hand, she felt the gift of grace, giving her the ability to forgive that she knew she didn't have the ability to do on her own. So I think when it comes to what are our small victories or small things we can do, we do the smallest thing we can do as a way of saying amen to the large things God can do with us. Mm, that's, that's a really beautiful image. You, 
I recently wrote an article for Mere Orthodoxy. And in that piece, you, you, you offer this imagery of keeping doors open. And um, I hope it's all right. There's this paragraph where, you know, you say Christians, especially white Christians, should live in such a way that our doors are clearly open to anyone in need. Could you um, maybe talk about ways where you've seen Christians either intentionally or inadvertently slam doors? And how, how do we sort of begin to live out that idea that you're floating in the article about keeping our doors open, especially to those who maybe um, have felt marginalized or kept to the peripheries of ecclesial life? I think one of the first things to remember is that people can hear us when we're speaking. And that when we speak about our political enemies, if we talk about them as people to be annihilated and not converted and embraced in friendship, they can hear us. And the question I always ask myself is if someone I disagree with strongly, someone I think is complicit in grave evil, repented and or even wasn't quite at the point of repenting, but was at the point of wanting to reject what they were currently doing and to try and discover if there was an alternative, would they think I was someone they could come to to talk about finding a way out? Or would they think, you know, Leah will just be so smug about it or you know leah hates me personally you know and she'll she won't be all right that i've changed my mind she just hates me and what i've been doing and so that's kind of what i'm talking about with keeping doors open is people hear the way we talk about them and if we talk about them you know as though they'd already have to be perfect for us to speak to them or as though we're looking forward you know to their death or you know uh crippling in some way in terms of political power they know that. And when they have a moment of doubt, they won't think to come to us for help. And that's kind of how we keep doors open for people we think of as, you know, as powerful as us or you know, people who are our enemies. But I think also it's important to, to go beyond that. And for people who we may not even think of ourselves having an active disagreement with, people who have been wounded and have been persecuted, it's not enough just to be neutral or to not say anything bad. What are we saying to actively communicate that there's a door open? You know, one of my friends, Catherine Addington, was a really beautiful essay on spiritual abuse in a book called Christ's Body, Christ's Wounds, um, talks about just how much people seem to forget that people who have been victims of spiritual or sexual abuse can hear them when they're talking on Twitter. And if you speak in a way that just doesn't seem to care about the reality of abuse or the reality of racism, people can hear you and they won't come to you for help or, you know, just for sympathy when they need it. Now, Leah, uh, the, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to point out which children, but I have a child who sort of thinks out loud and the idea of like telling him, you know, I, I don't want you to think, you know, whatever you're talking about now, and it can be like a, against like a sibling or whatever. I'm like, you know, you should probably work on this, but just a side note, um, if you always say out loud exactly what you're thinking, uh, everyone can hear you because you've been blessed with a Bonner voice, which means people can hear you from four blocks away because we're not quiet people. Um, and so, so when I think about carrying that lesson over into a wider sense, is it is a certain sort of um, blinders on where we think that we can tweet out something that you know everyone in the world has access to. And the fact that you don't think someone else might hear says less about ideas of privacy or things like this, but gets to the heart of what you're saying, which is to say, you don't think they're there. They're not even a part of your thoughts. You don't even take time to imagine that someone might run into these thoughts of yours and that that might in some ways be worse than what it is that you actually say. That what's not being said 
is, uh, and you know, this like, oh, well, if we don't have like a sort of um, bureaucratic um, regime that means that like we have double and triple edited our thoughts before we speak, you know, I think that that's what people start throwing out when they're worried about things like free speech or being able to think out loud, these, these sort of uh, narratives that we have about what is speech in a free society. But it gets back to care of words. It's not the matter of there's certain things that you must say in order to be polite or be taken seriously. It's a, a question about uh, magnanimity. It's a question about vision. When you speak, who do you imagine and see as listening? And that that's a small exercise as well that, that is a, a, a part of our inner life, that in our prayer and our meditation or contemplation, can we imagine our words being heard by more people tomorrow than maybe we thought yesterday? Absolutely. And I think that neglect, which people, again, think of as neutral, like, oh, well, I wasn't thinking about this person when I said this. Oh, I didn't mean you when I said this. You know, it hurts because it involves not thinking of people and not taking responsibility um, as Christians to care for them. It's a real disclaiming of, well, am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for someone seeing what I said? Yes, you are. And again, there's appeals to free speech. You know, free speech is a right you know, that describes how we relate to our government. But as Christians, we don't advocate for free speech in our actual lives. We don't say, well, I should be free to say anything no matter how blasphemous, you know, and that would be fine. We say, well, you know, words have real consequences. You know, and Lord, you know, protect me when I open my lips so that I don't speak against you or distance myself from you. We're in favor of what's called positive freedom, the freedom for excellence, not a negative freedom, which is a freedom from constraint. It's a little easier to talk about uh, this specific issue that I'm about to raise post-election, but one thing that made me a bit uncomfortable in the lead-up to the presidential election is you had prominent church figures, and I'm thinking about someone like Archbishop Vigano or even Cardinal Mueller, who used to be the head of the, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith, but they were pretty outspoken in saying that you know, the outcome of the election had to do with the future of the defense of life or freedom, you know, those are two very different figures and they framed it in different ways. But I was a bit concerned that, you know, those either inside or outside the church could think maybe to be Catholic was to vote a certain direction. And I'm wondering, Leah, um, what are your thoughts about how do Catholics remain politically engaged, but without, I I guess I'm speaking for myself here and I don't want to, you know, put words in your mouth, but I, I guess without giving the impression that, um, you know, a certain sort of political affiliation is kind of part and parcel of being Catholic. Well, you know, I think we know that, you know, the powers of this earth fall short of the kingdom of God we're building and that we should never have a loyalty to a political party or a politician that trumps our loyalty to God. And that doesn't mean that we're either kind of constrained to never vote at all because our choices are imperfect um, nor to, you know, cleave to the best of our options and make it into something better than it really is. There are two models of voting. I think both are helpful that I've seen discussed recently. So if you're reevaluating your choices, you know, this will come a little too late for you, but think about it for next time. And one is, you know, voting is a mark of approval and aligning yourself with someone. When I vote for someone, I'm you know, on their team and what they think I think. And I think if that's what voting is, Catholics are 
relatively rarely able to vote for anyone. Um, but there's another model, um, and it's something Jonathan Blanks has talked about, which is voting as a way of pick picking who is at the other end of the table when you're negotiating. So voting for someone doesn't necessarily mean I endorse everything about them, but voting is not the end of our political activity. After you vote, you have to keep putting pressure on a politician to get them to live up to the promises that you know, led you to support them and to try and get them to not fulfill the promises that you disagree with. So when you vote, you're not pledging your loyalty, you're picking who you want to negotiate with for the next four years, for the next two years, for the next six years. And I find that model a lot more helpful in thinking about what I'm going to do, especially as it points to the ongoing responsibility of stewardship that doesn't end after you, you know, slam down the lever in the voting booth. Well, and by this on you one... can tell that I grew up in New York in the era before electronic ballots where you got to like, pull a really heavy lever. Oh, yeah. That was literally what I was getting ready to say is I, I so wish we could pull levers that actually, I mean, anything analog, like I like when you actually have to physically depress a button, it's not like a flat screen, but that's a whole other episode. But yes, I agree. I'm all for slamming down levers. Um, and, and I think that that's a great thing to say is we've truncated political participation into the thing I do every four years, every two, every whatever. But here we are, folks, and however you had approached voting beforehand, I think uh, as we go into the break here, that this is a perfect idea for Leah to carry, away, carry us away with, is that here we are now, and whatever the outcome is, um, we're not done. In fact, if we're being honest about living this out, the most important part is now, is are we going to negotiate? Are we going to put pressure? Are we going to live out the Christian faith in a way that uh, we don't renunciate um, the vote the minute we do it and we don't renounce our words the minute we say them and i think that that's a good way to tie together this this segment is that when you speak you know that it has reverberations it's like a pond that those ripples will keep going out and voting is not a one-time act but it's exactly you know sailing the boat uh you know and, and that there's things that we have to do still along the way this is the uncommon good this is a wonderful conversation you'll want to stick around bo bonner dr budmar will be back right after this. Thank you, Construction Professionals, for your support of Dowling Catholic Sports 365. Construction Professionals is a family-owned business dedicated to our customers. Whether designing, building, or renovating, we are here to better serve you. Our passion for quality craftsmanship, paired with our dedication to creativity, result in a home that reflects your personality, style, and family function. Construction Professionals. Design. Build. Renovate cpcustomhomes.com. From our family to yours, God bless. Thank you, Farm Bureau agent Cindy Schulte for underwriting Catholic Women Now. As an authorized independent agent, Cindy's team can provide health insurance options from Wellmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Iowa. Cindy Schulte at 1315 50th Street in West Des Moines or on the web at cindyschulte.com. 515-226-2111. Cindy and her team know health insurance. Walmart Blue Cross Blue Shield of Iowa is an independent licensee of the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association products available at Farm Bureau Financial Services. We typically get sick more often as we age, right? This makes finding the right insurance plan very important. Give the good folks at Catholic United Financial a call. They're on a mission to give Catholics straight talk and great rates on Medicare supplement insurance, the backup insurance to Medicare. Hi, this is Kevin Williams, your local Catholic United Specialist, and I'm here to help you. Please call me at 224 764 
Get a quote from Kevin Williams at 1-800-255-9817. Here's your forecast on Iowa Catholic Radio. We have that strong winter storm moving to our north, and that'll bring us gusty wind and a few snow showers through the afternoon. Temperature will be dropping into the mid-20s, and wind will be gusting to 40 miles per hour. Could get some snow showers this evening. Our overnight low in the single digits, mid-teens, sunny and windy tomorrow. Weather is brought to you by Divine Treasures, a Catholic book and gift store serving the Des Moines community for over 25 years. I'm meteorologist Steve Hamilton on Iowa Catholic Radio. Good. Bob Bonner, Dr. Bud Marr joining you this Wednesday, December 23rd, sitting right here on the precipice of the end of Advent leading into Christmas. We're glad you can be with us. Um, if you want to imagine Bud and I in Santa and or elf costumes, that's strange, but feel free to do so. Uh, Bud, wonderful segment we had with Chris Stefanik, and I hope people, um, if they don't get a chance to, to check out either that website or the book, that they will at least take the admonition about joy seriously. Like mm-hmm. we said, we have this one last day. Hopefully you're finishing up the O antiphons that remind us. Um, and if you ever get confused about something like the O antiphon, folks, it's literally the verses of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Uh, you can go look up all of that as well. But the point being, bud, is we are steamrolling now to the great festive beginning of Christ's ministry on earth and uh it's wonderful to get to imagine it think about it and talk about it with you yeah that's right i'm nervous to broach a topic as complex as comparative religions bo i mean i you and i are both catholic because we believe it to be true of course but i think in this case you can find something very instructive by comparing what god has revealed in jesus christ with the way that other faith traditions have maybe like stumbled towards the truth And what I have in mind, Bo, is that there's other faith traditions that have, I think, fairly clear concepts of God as creator and sustainer of all that is, that God's all-powerful, even that God is merciful towards us. But I really think, you know, there's something profound, of course, I I, want to say again, profoundly true, but something life-changing about the idea that God became flesh. And so in Christianity, as we read in the New Testament, um, you know, obviously like intimated in the Old Testament, but in the fullness of Revelation, the God who created us became as close to us as possible. Uh, Sacred Scripture says that he became flesh and and dwelt among us. The the verb there is something like he pitched his tent among us. And so for for Christians, you know, like, Bo, I think we could start this, this reflection this season by saying, you know, our goal, so to speak, if you want to talk about salvation or what God plans for our lives, it's not to find an escape hatch from life in this world. Like our eternal beatitude starts now and it's world affirming. So everything that we talk about on the show with the, with the common good bow that all flows out of the Catholic church's perennial affirmation that God created the world good. And that his plan of salvation is not about taking human beings, so to speak to a different place or to a different reality, but it's sort of like the, um, heaven in the book of revelation is a new creation so it's the restoration or i don't know if i have the right terminology even like the maximalization of our life um, as created beings but i like that here on the uncommon good when we start talking about christmas we start throwing in comparative religion 
it really shows to mom, our moms and dads that that's money well spent on all those loans for our education. So I, th- I thank you for yep. giving us the opportunity to brag. <laughs> uh, no, um, I, I think about this, but so there is a common canard around Christmas, right? You get it with every Christmas or Easter. They're always trying to figure out how actually Christianity is just a bunch of like Jewish dudes who heard other pagan myths and were like, let's make our own. And so you'll get this specifically with something like the Incarnation they'll start to go, oh, well, actually, actually, you just imagine them saying actually as annoying as possible. Actually, there's all sorts of religions that have gods that come down and become one of man and die and then are resurrected. Now, but the only way they can come up with this is if they um, make composite characters of multitudes of pagan gods and fudge on every single detail along the way. So let's just talk about this for a little bit. You're absolutely right that the monotheistic religions that seem the most like Christianity actually would never countenance having something like the Incarnation. It would be just basically offensive to imagine a God who would come muddy his being with our stench, as it were. Anything Gnostic or Platonic, Aristotle's first mover, Judaism in many ways, Islam, even sort of Eastern religions in the sort of Hinduistic or Chinese cultural, uh, you know, Confucian vein. If you have a God that's monotheistic, he is apart from us and does not muddy with us with his affairs. So that's where you get something like heresies like Arianism that doesn't want to besmirch God with the dirtiness of human life. On the other hand, you'll get things like pagan gods that do have their hands (laughs) very muddy with human affairs. But what starts to be interesting is when you try to get people say, oh, well, look, here's a God that is incarnate or dies and is resurrected. You only get two instances of those, bud. Almost all of them that they're talking about are fertility gods, where that God actually dies and is reborn every year because the God is sort of a configuration of nature going through the four seasons. Or you get something like a demigod like Hercules, where it's like, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, a god had uh, romantic relationships with uh, a human, and that sort of half-human kind of goes between the two worlds, but noticeably almost never dies or does anything that sort of breaches the gap between human and divine. They're always this sort of third thing. The last sort of thing you'll get is something like Dionysius. And I know people are like, wow, we're really diving deep into the Greek paganism today. But yet again, people will try to say, well, here's this God, right? That sort of is a, sits at the border between the divine and humanity and does something like dies and resurrects. You know, there's wine involved. So people try to make a connection with the Eucharist. But noticeably, Dionysius, he's the God of madness, right? The God that sort of subverts everything. And ultimately, to be a devotee of Dionysius does not bring peace and joy or reconciliation, but is sort of like the wild card in the world, constantly messing things up throughout human history. No, but it's as you say, Christianity uniquely has this idea that God himself, now mysteriously, ultimately to us, right, because of how the Trinity works, incarnation, how those things and what that means in, in, in a sort of theology class, we can get much more into detail, but suffice it to say, it is not in the sense of the sort of fertility or uh, uh, gods that have to do with the seasons, like the pagans say. It's not the demigod Hercules stuff. It's not Dionysian. It's not this idea of a god that's far in distance and has nothing to us. No, it's Emmanuel, bud. 
God yeah. with us. And God decides through his capacity to do this in the incarnation, to become part of our history and story, not to disrupt it alone, but to save it and to make humanity and divinity wed together in a way that cannot be broken apart. And all that we talked about with joy with Chris Stefanik yeah. and in the first part of the show is wedded to that idea. If that idea is not true, then we do not have the joy that we claim, but it is true. And the joy is now a necessary response to that reality. But I like that idea you throw out there of disruption and both for, for me, this is a real struggle each Christmas. Um, you know, when Christ came into the world, it bought, it disturbed Kings. Herod was like, I got to find this kid and was willing to wipe out, you know, hundreds, thousands of infants to try to kill the baby Jesus but it's tough in our culture. And I know this is kind of a cliche, Bo, but this time of year, the world longs for the truth of Christmas, but it can't reach that point without you know, the fullness of what we actually know God accomplished in Jesus Christ. And so what you get instead is this sort of like ooey gooey sentimentality where, you know, you, you turn on the radio and you hear like a kid singing happy birthday, happy birthday, Jesus. Wow. Or, Nebraska's really coming hard with the tunes, man. <laughs> <laughs> that, that didn't come out even, that was even just like a poor impersonation of the kid, but uh, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> or like, You'll um, never be able to trick people that it's you're talking for your children, but yes, go ahead. <laughs> What's the, uh, I, I'm probably going off the rails here, but you know, like the creepy Jim, Jim Carrey um, Grinch movie. Oh it's yeah. Like, where are you Christmas? And it's just, it's meant Beautiful. to, it's, it's meant to make you feel warm inside, but I don't think it really gets to the heart of something like the Magnificat. And that's where both, if I was going to say to listeners, like if they're asking themselves, how do I get past the sentimentality to the truth of Christmas? One simple practice might be just to pray Mary's Magnificat from Luke one each day next week. Mm. And we see there that the incarnation is about, you know, God scattering the proud that God has put down the mighty from their thrones, exalted those of low degree. He's filled the hungry with good and sent the rich away empty. So if we're living into the incarnation, so to speak, we'll probably experience that to the extent that we are there in those places where the hungry are being filled with good things and where the rich are being sent away empty and where the mighty are being pulled down from their thrones. I mean, that's not easy to pull off. I think some simple steps could be things like, you know, caring maybe for um, a mother who's facing a crisis pregnancy, giving alms to uh, someone standing, you know, like on the, um, on the entryway of 235. Like th those are little ways, but we have to ask ourselves, like, does my life, is it beginning to sort of take that shape? And we can't get there in a day, but I think as we begin to meditate upon the Magnificat, hopefully like it will transform our vision of the world. Yeah. I don't mean to like, I'm not going to name any names of hymns that I will speak negatively of right now, because I, I know that that's fighting words. But I'll speak positively of hymns that I think that avoid the syrupy sweetness exactly like you're talking about. Because certainly we have sort of coded Christmas as syrupy sentimentalism that you should indulge in, right? Like there's this real sort of idea like what the holidays mean is indulgence. And it's no wonder that it makes so many people depressed because if they're not, this goes back again to what Chris is talking about, but focused for the season. 
Like if you're not requisitely happy enough in that sort of light, nostalgic sort of way, you kind of go, there must be something wrong with me. And then the spiral starts. Instead, to again, refer one more time to what we were talking about at the beginning, there really is a sort of martial element about what's going on. If you're going to talk about a king being born, overthrowing the proud in their conceit, like you say, much better is a hymn like, uh, Oh, come all you faithful. Oh, come all you faithful, joyful and triumphant, right? Triumphant is what we're aiming for. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him. Behold, right? Like you, you behold great things, not syrupy sweet things. No one goes like, behold Chuck E. Cheese, where everybody's having a good time, right? <laughs> we behold greatness. Come and behold him, born the king of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him, Christ the Lord. Born the king of angels. And again, even angels, bud, fall into this, you know, like angels are like yeah. fat babies with wings, or they're like really nice uh, Norwegian-looking people with blonde hair that happen to have wings. There's always very nice wings involved. But, but the Christmas story is chock full of people being absolutely terrified of the angels that show up. <laughs> Right. I mean, like half of uh, uh, of the infancy narrative is spent with angels being like, settle down person. I'm just talking to. Everything's fine. Yeah. That happened with Mary. It happened with Joseph, with the shepherds. Angels are terrifying. And this baby is born the king of those terrifying, multi-eyed, many-winged, fire-breathing spiritual entities. This is the beginning of God's beachhead into his invasion of the kingdom of Satan. That's actually what's going on here, the advent of Christ's reign. And of course, God can do both and, right? Like, I think we were joking about this off-air, bud, that every Catholic, like, who has to talk on, like, radio or give presentations, we need to get a both and tattoo. And yeah. on the other arm, it's either or with an X through it. But the both and, of course, is that Christmas is very satisfying and, and comforting, and it should be that God decided to come down and be with us. But it is also triumphant, and it should make the demons shake in their boots, and it should make us who are comfortable ask ourselves deep questions. Why do we describe our lives currently now as comfortable? Because certainly when the newborn king came, it's like you said, the people in his time, they were not joyful, they were worried, and that's, I think, the sort of crux of what we've been getting at with this show. I love that point about angels. We always like doing that in class, Bo, where in our culture, really, this is one area where what Scripture says has been covered over by a whole bunch of probably well-meaning but just wrong uh, intentions. And so if you want to get some like grasp of the reality of angels— like you're talking about, go back to the Bible, where whenever anyone meets one, they're just absolutely terrified. And it, it would be great, I think, to, I don't want to make light of any, like, story, narrative in scripture, but to have, like, terrified shepherds and then one of the fat baby angels, like, towering over them, just right. to drive the point home. But I think, <laughs> I think, I like that. <laughs> I think the truths that you're talking about, they even help. So, I remember when we were studying for ministry at Duke Divinity School, and one topic that came up is, you know, at the holidays, like during Advent, Christmas time, where you're singing a lot about joy and it's, it's very celebratory and festive, for a lot of actual people, it's a rough time of year because they kind of remember uh, maybe like the loved ones who are no longer there with them. If someone who's listening has lost their parent 
or parents, you know, this time of year, those emotions all kind of well up. And so maybe you don't feel like you're tracking with the way that everyone else is experiencing Christmas. But I think what you see uh, in God's revelation, Bo, is already at the manger, it lies under the shadow of the cross. And I think the church reminds us this a couple weeks from now, where January 1st, uh, I believe the feast now is known as like the Solemnity of Mary, the Mother of God. Mm-hmm. Historically, that was the feast of the circumcision of Jesus. And already at eight days, you know, Christ begins his fulfillment of the covenant. And that part of that is, you know, this request that each Jewish male be circumcised. And if you get into some of the biblical commentary, you know, from medieval monks and others, they see this as the first shedding of blood that Christ makes on our behalf. Like this is sort of anticipatory of Christmas and the rest of Christ's life, you know, obviously like um, his relationship with his parents, amazing close friendships, et cetera. But it really is like the path to the cross. And that reminds us that our suffering bow is not, it's not meaningless. It's not something that we like pass through or put up with until we meet God in heaven. But St. Paul says like, I want to know the reality of Christ's suffering so that I can experience the fullness of the resurrection. And so each element of life, but especially, um, I think our sufferings and our trials, like those are caught up into our life with God so that these are the means that he begins to shape our souls and to make us into the person who, who actually can commune with God, who's like ready for the beatific vision. Well, but I mean, just on that point, I mean, you, you talk about the sort of end of the octave, right? When we get to January 1st and it's uh, the circumcision of our Lord where Mary becomes, you know, like is officially the mother of, uh, of, of our Lord uh, in, in Jewish sort of understandings of how that all works. But I mean, think about the intervening uh, feast that we have between. We have the feast of Stephen and, you know, we all know the song, Good King Wenceslas looked out on the Feast of Stephen. Huh, happy Feast of Stephen. But, I mean, the guy died a martyr. He was the proto-martyr, right? Stoned to death. Um, St. John, you go, oh, high theologian eagle dude. But, of course, he was martyred. He just had the added benefit of not dying when he was dipped in boiling pitch, which is where we get the name of the church, St. John outside the Lateran Gate, because he was martyred. God just let him stick around afterwards because he wanted to show him really cool heavy metal stuff that he could write down in the book of Revelations. Finally, we have the Feast of the Holy Infants, which is literally the celebration of all of those children martyred in the shadow of Herod's rage at the fact that Jesus Christ, the newborn king, was born. We have that interlocked paradox that the joy is bound also with the cross, like you said already here at the beginning. So beyond the fact that we should probably imagine angels more, and I'm aging myself here, like Trogdor burninating the countryside than a sort of like tubby baby. It's also the case that, you know, the eight days of Christmas, the 12 days of Christmas, you know, you might be giving people partridges and a pear tree and like lords leaping and other weird stuff. But on the other hand, we have Stephen the martyr, John, the holy infants, all of this reminding us that this is the first, the first beachhead that God has mm-hmm. established in history to say that he's going to win. And so even if you don't feel quite like a nostalgic Charles Dickens novel, my friends, know that you are probably even closer to the heart of that baby Jesus in the manger in Bethlehem and with Mary 
plotting the overthrowing of the thrones of the prince of this world, whose time, that minute that Christ was born, was now on the clock and wouldn't last all that much longer. Folks, this is the uncommon good. For Bud Marr, I'm Bo Bonner. May Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, reign in our hearts, in our families, our city, our state, our nation, the world, the solar system, the whole galaxy, the whole kit and caboodle, but entirely and very much so on this Christmas, and especially during this year, we want to say Merry Christmas, and that we'll get uh, lovingly a chance to talk to you in the new year. Folks, we have an abundant prayer life here on Iowa Catholic Radio that we hope that you get a chance to join in. But if they want to be a part of the prayer life here on Iowa Catholic Radio, what are ways they can do so with ease? Yeah, on the show today, we talked about entering into the mystery of Christmas, the mystery of the Incarnation. You know, maybe the most effective way to do that or just the starting point for all of that is prayer. And here at the station, we set aside time each day on air. We pray the rosary together daily at 5.30 in the morning, 9.30 a.m., and then again at 9.30 p.m. We also pray the Angelus on air at 6 a.m., but all of those uh, prayer opportunities, Bo, are available all day, every day of the year, on the Iowa Catholic Radio app. That's absolutely true, bud. And for us to be able to allow, not allow, to empower you to use things like the Iowa Catholic Radio app, the website, and of course everything that you hear on air, uh, that relies on you. Folks, Iowa Catholic Radio is more than just your standard nonprofit trying to do its work. We're not only trying to do the Lord's work, but we are a ministry that only operates if we're all in this together. You are a vital part of this ministry because it's not just the voices that you hear on air. It's not just the good people behind the boards like Jimmy and Tony, Deacon Tony. It's not like all the great people manning the phones in the offices. Truly, you are a part of this ministry and you make it possible. You make it possible through your own prayers, joining the prayers that Bud was talking about earlier. You make it possible through your volunteer hours, but you most certainly make it possible by volunteering your treasure and giving gifts to us to make this possible. This is the season of giving gifts. And we ask you to consider giving the gift of a donation to Iowa Catholic Radio. It's easy to do. You can call 515-223-1150 or text them to arrange such a donation. You can go to the Iowa Catholic Radio app where there's a donate button, or you can go online, iowacatholicradio.com, where there's also a donate button. But of course, your donations are not only like the standard issue of most donations, uh, tax deductible, able to be uh, utilized in ways that way as well. You're not only keeping good programming on the air, but truly you are offering a prayer to extend this ministry through uh, the Diocese of Des Moines, through Iowa, and then all the places that our podcast shows and people listening on air and on the, uh, the, the Iowa Catholic app are able to reach. Uh, on 24-7, penetrating through walls, there when people need it, when they're driving through or able to switch onto the channel, you make this possible. And so we ask you to join in our prayers. Keep giving us those volunteer hours. We love to see you when we can. But also please consider at this time of year to offer one of your gifts of the season to Iowa Catholic Radio so that we can together present the ministry of this gift of God's word. And we want to say thank you for all the people that do that as well. Bud, it's Christmas very soon, my friend, and I want to just say Merry Christmas to you and yours. Tell all of your happy family that uh, all the love from the Bonners and that we can't wait to see you all in the new year.
Becca, Yubo, and Merry Christmas to all of our listeners. Thank you all for uh, walking with us through this year. This is The Uncommon Good, and we'll be back next year. The Uncommon Good with Bo Bonner and Dr. Bud Marr is heard every week on wonderful Catholic stations like this one and anytime on podcast. Just search for The Uncommon Good.